I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 22 of Beauty Bosses. I am so pleased to be introducing you to the very brilliant Verena Vaughn Fetten, who is the co-founder of Gossamer. Mm-hmm. Um, so Gossamer is a really interesting new concept. It's a lifestyle publication about cannabis use for the modern cannabis consumer. Yeah. And you have a background that's very interesting too because you come from the space of digital marketing and writing and mm-hmm. editing and all things press. Yeah. So, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Great. Um, why don't we start by having you tell us a little bit about the inspiration for Gossamer, what it is, and why you started it. Sure. Um, so, I started Gossamer with uh, a friend of mine, David Wiener, who's my co-founder now. Um, And we met working together a little over 10 years ago at the Huffington Post, um, both as digital editors very early on. I think, you know, I was maybe the 25th employee, he was the 27th. And uh, we have stayed friends since then. And in the last year and a half, two years, had sort of both been consulting and freelancing and working with a mix of like brands and platforms. Um, and just felt like we wanted to start something new and something a little bit different. And both of us, you know, one thing we had in common was the fact that we smoked weed. Um, and that's one of the ways we'd actually bonded over the years. And when he first mentioned maybe doing something in the cannabis space, I realized that as a woman who, um, you know, has spent the better part of my career marketing to women, telling them what to buy, where to buy it, how to wear it, what to read, where to eat. Um, and as someone who is marketed to constantly, uh, you know, I read voraciously, um, I read magazines, I read the internet, I read websites, um, and cannabis has been a part of my life, for better or for worse, for, you know, almost 20 years, um, it seemed insane to me that I couldn't name a single brand or publication in the space, and that not one of them was reaching me. Um, so we sort of felt like there was a real opportunity to talk to people who are maybe um, you know, a slightly more elevated consumer, um, maybe a little more casual also. Like, it's sort of the equivalent of someone who drinks wine but isn't going to read Wine Spectator. Um, and we felt like so much in the space focused really aggressively on the strains and the science and the B2B of it. Um, and we thought there was something or an opportunity for something that spoke to the lifestyle of like how it informs the decisions you make um, and what you do before, do, before, during, and after, but not necessarily focusing on the plant itself. That's very interesting. So I know that in the past probably decade or so, yeah. there's been a lot of change related to um, marijuana, not only in terms of its legalization, but yeah. also in terms of societal comfort with talking about the topic. So yeah. right now we have eight states slash districts mm-hmm. where marijuana is legal to be consumed by adults just walking in off the street mm-hmm. who you know not medical marijuana just recreational marijuana yeah. so we have california oregon washington alaska maine washington dc colorado and nevada yeah um how do you feel like the legal climate has changed the ability for you as a co-founder of gossamer to speak about this topic um I mean, look, the reality is people are getting more comfortable with it, for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, Obviously, as more and more states come um, online, so to speak, to use the sort of parlance, um, it is an easier conversation to have. But I think the fact remains that it's a difficult one. Um, When we were deciding whether to launch this, I sort of said, I need to think long and hard about this, I think particularly as a woman, um, that it's something I'm going to be associated with, for better or for worse, for the rest of my career. And like as someone who has worked at, you know, places like Condé Nast and with really sort of like high-end brands, is this going to affect my, you know, future professional um, Mm -hmm. opportunities? Are people going to look at me and be like, well, that's the weed editor, you know, we can't hire her. Um, But I think the fact that I felt that way made me think that there was an even bigger opportunity. Like, why is that such a problem? Why can't it be a public conversation? And then um, I think if you really want to talk about the, the legal uh, status of cannabis in this country, um, it's hugely fraught. So yes, these states are legal, and there's eight of them. You know where sure any adult can walk in off the street or consume freely, um, but there are still millions of people in jail, um, and 
predominantly those people are people of color. So I think the reality was also that if I'm someone who can talk about this and do so comfortably and potentially help change the conversation without any particularly adverse effects, like maybe someone doesn't want to hire me, but no one's going to put me in jail, Mm -hmm. um, that felt like um, even more reason to try and sort of use this to drive the conversation forward and hopefully affect like actual social change as well. Do you feel like it's opened doors for you or closed doors for you to be so closely associated with cannabis? Um, You know, I I would say it feels to me like it's open doors, but I would also not know how many it's closed. (laughs) I I wouldn't say any have been slammed in my face yet. Um, Okay, (laughs) but I do feel like there's a a curiosity, and you know, one of the things we talk about all the time is we, you know, we have a lot of meetings, and you know, we meet people when we're pitching the company or sort of just networking, and we are constantly surprised that um, at how quickly someone will sort of let their guard down and be like, oh, well, my parents are in, you know, Portland this weekend, you know, having, like, a weed getaway. Or, you know, we'll be um, on, like, the 40th floor of some midtown tower with a bunch of suits. And as soon as we say, you know, we're a publication for people who smoke weed, everyone starts sort of, like, telling their story. So it does feel like right now everyone has, like, if they aren't already consuming, um, you know, they have a friend who does or a parent who does or a sister, um, which is why we also... When we sort of talk about Gossamer and who the audience is, we say it's for people who also smoke weed, so they do a bunch of other things. That's like probably what they're most known for. Um, or they hang out with people who do. So, you know, we sort of realize that it, it doesn't matter, right? My friend group, I have people that consume and don't. I go months sometimes without touching it, and sometimes I smoke every night. Um, it doesn't necessarily define me. So, uh, you know, we've been sort of pleased by how many people are willing to talk about it once you sort of give them permission to, so to speak. Would you say that Gossamer has an agenda? Or is there a goal of Gossamer? Like, would you like to see uh, marijuana more popularized or Mm -hmm. more accepted? Or, you know, could you speak a little bit about what your goals are with the publication? Absolutely. Um, We absolutely have a goal. I would say that our, you know, in a nutshell, our mission is to help change the conversation around cannabis. um, And then if we should be so lucky to help drive um, meaningful change from like a legislation and social justice perspective than that too. Um, but you know, uh, we are a lifestyle publication, so we're trying to do that through storytelling, um, through, you know, creating content that shows that you aren't defined by the fact that you smoke weed in the same way you're not defined by the fact that maybe you go home and have a glass of wine, right? Like no one says, oh, that I, no one calls someone who has a glass of wine the equivalent of like a stoner, right? And that's like, a term that I think, you know, people for better or for worse feel like it's very pejorative right now. And if they say that they smoke weed, like, you know, we have, <laughs> one of the things we've also discovered is that as soon as we tell people what we do, um, how often we have business meetings or phone calls and they'll be at 9am and someone will be like, so are you high right now? <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> you know, it's 9am on a Tuesday. I'm like a, a functioning, hardworking human being, like, no, I'm, I'm not. Um, but that's the sort of assumption, right? That you say you smoke weed and, and so you must be high all the time. Um, so I think what we're trying to do is just help make people more comfortable. And then, you know, the reality is this is something that makes people feel better. Um, we sort of are agnostic as to why someone might want to consume it or try it. It could be for health reasons. Um, it could be for purely recreational ones. The way we view it is that it's something that um, helps elevate any experience. So whether it is you want to sleep better, you want to enjoy your meal, you want to laugh harder, you want to just like chill out and watch Netflix for three hours, you want to reduce pain, you want to go to a museum and have like an even more sort of heightened experience. Like that's why you consume and whatever that reason is, is, is that's your own. But we're sort of here to show you, um, you know, different things you can do or consider or um, sort of partake in if that's what you're interested in. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting to me is how we as a society have created a black and white line on this continuum of substances that are, you know, not medically necessary and are, you know, not helping anybody's health and in some cases detrimental to the health Mm -hmm. and um, can be life altering. But, you know, I'm a doctor and my bias is obviously 
um, in the space of science and, sure. um, you know, I don't drink or smoke anything. Yeah. Um, and, but that's fine. I, obviously I have friends and family and, you know, colleagues and, you know, everyone in the world around me <laughs> yeah. um, is doing those kinds of things. Um, but I do think it's very interesting that if you think about it from a chemical level mm-hmm. and um, a substance level, marijuana is not that different from alcohol in the sense that it is mind altering. It's yeah. not that different from smoking tobacco in the sense that there are inhalational risks associated with it. If you're smoking. Um, if you're smoking it. Um, and it's not kind of that different from um, this whole continuum of other substances that we, you know, accept or reject. So I'm wondering where you th- where you think the line should be drawn you know is it do you think that marijuana should be legal cocaine should be legal heroin should be legal um crack should be legal or do you think that there's a difference in type or difference in degree between some of the harder drugs and some of the sort of um softer drugs Mm -hmm. so to speak or do you think that you know because we've paved the way with alcohol and tobacco that you know these are not necessarily that different. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I would argue and stand firmly on the side that cannabis does not sit anywhere near um, cocaine or um, any sort of chemical illegal substance. Uh, I think the idea of cannabis as something that is like so uh, prohibited and illegal is very, very new, yeah. um, right? I mean, the history of cannabis prohibition, it only became illegal in the 30s. Um, and it is something that humans have consumed since humans have been around, like right. thousands and thousands of years. And, you know, science aside, and or and not science aside, I mean, if we're going to talk about science, like there are proven medical benefits to cannabis. Um, and particularly, I think something that people are exploring now and to sort of push back a little bit against like the mind altering um, sort of uh, definition of cannabis is something like CBD, which is um, another cannabidiol that you get from the cannabis plant. And there are hundreds of them. THC is the active, psychoactive one that everyone sort of knows and associates with cannabis. But CBD is just one of hundreds that come from this plant. Um, And I know there was a study in the early 2000s that was considered a scientific breakthrough that the human body has an endocannabinoid system um, that is sort of maps to that of the plants. So I do think there is something really compelling from a health perspective to consider what the benefits are. And something like CBD, which has been proven and is currently used to help prevent seizures in children with epilepsy um, and is legal in all 50 states, like that I think is a compelling conversation worth having and I think very firmly places it, not just away from like cocaine and and some of those, you know, I wish I knew the legal, like, class one substances or whatever, but I would argue even further than alcohol. Um, I would say that if you are consuming a tincture of cannabis um, or an edible, and whether that's CBD or something that has THC or a combination of both, um, you're probably doing something that's much better for you than drinking a glass of wine. Right. I think that's really interesting because one thing that I think, um, just with a medical background that is... A little bit perplexing is mm-hmm. that people are unwilling to have a reasonable, you know, rational conversation about these topics. And yeah. I get that it's a fraught topic. You For know, sure. I totally understand that people have differences of opinion, but it almost gets to be a political level debate yeah. rather than um, rather than a conversation about substances. But um, what I'm wondering is what should be, in your opinion, the mm-hmm. definition of substances that are illegal versus legal like which ones why don't you um why don't you organize i'm gonna think on that for a second (laughs) why don't you organize a legal policy i was gonna say i feel like people study this and work on this for like decades Uh, okay but i can can think you can Um, think about that um and you know if you or if you just have some general thoughts because i i think it's interesting if if we're making a case for you know there there are all these substances that are kind of you know, in the cluster diagram of life, they're sure. sort of like clustered. Mm-hmm. And how do we pick out which ones are okay? Like a glass of wine is okay, an edible is okay, um, but you know, crystal meth is not okay. And mm-hmm. you know, at what level do we say that something is okay and something's not okay, or yeah. that methamphetamine is okay if it's in an ADD medicine, but it's say, not okay if gets... it's in a um, you know, in a pot that someone's you know. 
totally. making in you know in their basement. It, it's a super murky conversation. I yeah. mean, like where does like oxycontin fit in something like this conversation? Exactly. Um, you know, is that something that should have ever really been prescribed the way it was prescribed? Um, so I, I think with cannabis, um, I can't speak for the entire industry. I can probably really only speak for myself, but I do think that there is an opportunity for a regulated, um, socially just, diverse, and inclusive policy that allows adults to participate in or consume it on their own terms. Um, that's probably as close as I can get to my definition <laughs> um, on the spot. Uh, we but won't make you write a Senate resolution yeah. tonight. Well, so. you know what? Why not? <laughs> I feel tomorrow. like you know, starting your own business, the things I learn on a daily basis. I'm like, well, now I know how to do this. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that's sort of our approach. Um, and I think that if the industry, and as you see in, in states that go legal um, or sort of, you know, adult use or deregulated or decriminalized or whatever you want to call it, um, you do see, obviously, there's been a lot of reports and, and news coverage around the uh, how the use of um, addictive painkillers and opioids goes down, right? So that seems to be like, obviously, there's a lot of factors that go into that, but that seems really, really positive. And there's also like an incredible amount of you know, scientific literature around using cannabis for pain relief, um, for PTSD symptoms, for anxiety. Um, so any of those things, I think if we have those benefits and if we can make those more accessible to people and less restrictive um, and, and be able to give them that, right? Um, not put it behind a wall where they can't access it or maybe they're forced to sort of go um, down legal avenues in order to get it. That just seems like a really reasonable and responsible solution. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. Um, so on a slightly different note, we were kind of talking a little bit, um, before we began about yeah. <laughs> the, we had a little sneak peek podcast, yeah. um, about the, um, circulation of Gossamer. Sure. So it's, Gossamer is both an online and a print publication. Yeah. Um, you just launched your first print issue with a circulation yep. of about 4,000 mm -hmm. and you have a very interesting digital and yeah. brand strategy. So tell us a little bit about what your strategy is. Yeah. So, um, like I said, both my co-founder and I are, uh, I think, to use like an industry term, like digital natives, so to speak. Um, that's sort of been my entire uh, experience. I have over a decade of experience in launching websites. I've launched over six different websites from start to scratch, start to finish, um, and from scratch. I have worked with a mix of publications, brands, platforms, everyone from um, into the Gloss and Glossier, ASOS. Uh, Team Vogue, uh, Spring, which is a sh you know shopping app, Man Repeller, um, and Taylor, and one thing I know how to do is drive traffic um, and how to sort of engage people online. Um, David has a similar background, working um, and relaunching companies like Dig.com and a startup called Beam with Casey Neistat, and we both sort of sat up and looked around and realized that because there is a very concrete way to do those things, everybody is doing them. And so what you end up having is an entire industry or quote unquote like media industry of, you know, publications that are all running the same 50 stories every day and all pushing them through Facebook. Um, and it just seemed like a totally unnecessary and um, honestly unsustainable way of doing business. Uh, you know, everyone is trying to fight for the same brand new eyeballs every time, but what about building something that people just want to read. And instead of publishing 100 stories a day, um, as some of like the bigger publications now have to do in order to get maybe five or 10 hits a day, and, and I mean hits in the sense of successful posts, right? Like mm -hmm. the ones that really drive all yeah. the traffic. Um, why not just publish a handful that all of your readers read, as opposed to just a percentage of them? Um, and I think the one thing that we both saw in our experience of like working with all these brands was that advertisers and um, 
partners and also the audience is much more interested in engagement, right? They want to feel like they're actually engaging with something real. Um, and so there's a much bigger conversation to be had, I think, with brands that are brands and publications that are smaller but have a really active audience. So, um, you know, I really admire um, brands and publications like Man Repeller or Emily Weiss at Glossier and Into the Gloss because what they did, um, what Leandra did with Man Repeller too, is she took a really um, obviously it's big in some respects, you know, I'm sure that what they have a million Instagram followers, she probably has a million herself, but you compare that to like a Buzzfeed or a Vogue or, right. you know, even like the Kardashians, let's say, right. And that's nothing, but they are so, so engaged. Um, and so, you know, we wanted to sort of take that and push it even a step further and say, you know, is there a world in which we can create like a physical print product that people are excited to read? Um, and how, you know, how can we engage with them that way? And it felt really important to put something out in the world that was like high quality. You know, I, one of the things we said is I feel like people, more people are smoking weed right now because there's just too much going on. You know, people want to go home and like decompress because they're constantly inundated with stories and tweets and like breaking news alerts. Um, and the last thing people need is more content. They just need higher quality content that Better actually content. speaks to them. Right. So that's that's really what we're trying to do. To what extent do you think it's about creating a community? Because you know, a lot of people attribute yeah. engagement level to the feeling of community. Like you're more you're more likely to comment on yeah. a post or heart a post that where you feel like you're in it. I think for us, community is everything. Yeah. Um, and, and I say that both, like, yes, from like a business model perspective, but on a personal level, too. Um, you know, one of the things we sort of, like, hit on really quickly when we were talking about doing this um, was the idea of the intimacy of connection, like how you meet people and how you decide someone is, you know, a like-minded person or someone is, you know, that there's someone you want to share things with or continue to see. And uh, one of the things that we thought was really interesting is that I do think maybe because it's still illicit that um, sharing a joint with someone or talking about cannabis or saying you're someone who smokes weed um, does form this like instant connection. Uh, you know, the story I always tell, um, and David has a version uh, of it as well, which is, you know, for him, it's going to a wedding being a plus one and, you know, going outside the wedding and finding the you know group of three or five people sharing a joint and being like cool I found my friends I found my people for the rest of the weekend or I went to a dinner party where I knew the hostess and I didn't know anyone else and I was seated next to a woman who was maybe 20-25 years my senior um, and you know I'm very comfortable and sort of talk to anybody but I was like oh, I wonder what we're gonna have in common and very quickly and early on in the conversation she said something about how she and her husband had stayed up really late the night before like getting stoned and watching uh, like binge watching something on Netflix and I immediately was like oh like this is going to be interesting. And it wasn't because she smokes weed. It wasn't like, oh, she smokes weed, therefore I like her. It was the fact that she just like let it roll off her tongue and said it to me. Because I think that any, she was either saying it because she didn't care if I was going to judge her or she didn't think I was going to judge her. And that to me, like that spoke words in a way that, um, you know, not a lot of other things do. You don't get that experience if someone says like, let's share a cup of coffee or like, let's have a glass of wine or like, you know, oh, you watch Bravo, I do too. You know, there, mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot wrapped up in the idea that someone is sort of telling you that they do something that, for better or for worse, is still a little bit um, seen a little bit negatively. And for us, I think when we talk about our audience, we talk about the community we want to build, it is a group of people who are open-minded and curious and adventurous and non-judgmental. And that's why we say, like, we are 100% um, interested in engaging with people who don't consume at all. And I would argue that you will find more than enough things that are interesting to you um, in Gossamer and in what we put out because again we're not focused so aggressively on you know smoking weed and and being high or any of that it's really trying to sort of speak to the mindset and the the, the psychographic so to speak of what we think that person is. What percentage of your community do you think um, is is comprised of active users of cannabis or marijuana products versus people who just like the content? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to, if I were guessing, I'd probably say eighty percent consume in some form or another 
in at some frequency, but that could be literally like once or twice a year. So it sort of depends on what you'd consider active versus like right. someone who abstains and literally doesn't touch it. Um, but I, I but I'm certainly have those readers as well. Uh, that would be something we'd want to study. I mean, one of the first surveys we ran, um, because we sort of were thinking about this was, you know, asking people like, do you consume? If so, how frequently? Um, how often do you buy? How much money do you spend on it versus what do you spend on, you know, the other things in your life? And what... Oh, that's so interesting. I'd yeah. be interested in knowing the answer. Yeah. yeah. And well, one of the things we realized pretty quickly is that no matter how frequently you consume, there's basically like a ceiling in terms of how much someone's going to spend on it, right? Like it's maybe $50 a month, if that. Like there's only so much you can really have. But people are much more engaged in travel and experiences. I mean, it's that sort of old, like... Not maybe not old, but at this point feels sort of very obvious the idea that people of um, a certain psychographic, I don't even want to say generation, I would say anyone between the ages of like 25 and 55 at this point, um, they want to spend their money on experiences. They don't necessarily want to spend, they do buy things, but they spend a lot more on the things they do. And that really helped us also inform the way we approached it, which was again, like cannabis itself is not that interesting. The product itself is not that interesting. It's travel, um, it's, you know, culture, it's art, it's fashion, it's food, it's all those things that like, you know, someone who's curious um, and maybe well-traveled or just wants to travel and they're adventurous, like those are the things they want to know about. They don't necessarily want to know about, you know, the latest like, you know, Pineapple Express strain or something like that. Although there are publications that do that and I'm very grateful for them. That's just not what we do. Yeah, that's interesting. So what are the ways in which you think that um, cannabis usage has kind of improved your life? Um, I mean, lots. I think particularly for me, as I mentioned earlier on, like CBD right now, um, I'm, I'm so sort of excited by. I'm very curious to see where it goes in the next few years um, because it is getting a lot of buzz. Um, I think for good reason. I think part of that was driven by some of the scientific studies that have come out and by its use in um, children with epilepsy and, and that's actually like driven like news stories that have made people sort of more curious um, but then it also I think is a become a bigger conversation as the quote-unquote rise of wellness as an industry um, which I'm sure you have plenty of thoughts on yeah <laughs> um, but so CBD for example is something that I take not every night but almost every night in tincture form um, you know a couple milligrams and I find it helps me sleep I'm also someone who is prone to not prone to I've had extreme and very very debilitating migraines uh, since I was three so you know so I go to the New York headache center right around the corner from here with Dr. Moscott <laughs> um, and I remember the first time I was there and he had me sort of like write up you know about how many days a month am I out of commission and what does that look like and at the end of it he was like you said that you don't consider yourself someone who's like debilitated by migraines. I was like, no, I've had them my entire life. Like I have a job, I function, it is what it is. And he's like, yeah, but add up the days that you are like out of commission. Like you say, you are, you can't leave your bed and it's over five a month. Um, and that was sort of a realization of like, wow, that's a crazy experience. And the fact that I'm spending, you know, hundreds of dollars a month on medication that I still, I have. And I, as soon as I get a migraine, I take it. But I find taking CBD, which helps me sleep, which is something that causes my migraines, which helps me feel less anxious, which is also something that triggers my migraines. And whether or not that's actually preventing them, um, even if it's psychosomatic, I'm willing to say that if taking CBD is helping me get them less frequently, that to me is life-changing. Um, other ways that I think cannabis has helped my life, um, you know, I drink less, a lot less. Um, I Like I said, I'm already, I'm, I'm someone who's consumed it on and off. I'm 34, um, probably since I was just about 15. So for better or for worse, I'm not encouraging anybody to do that. Um, but I also said I go, I'll go months not touching it. And sometimes I'll sort of consume on a daily basis. It really just, it's something that I think helps me um, relax when I need it to. It's you know, I've made really good friends through it, as I sort of mentioned from a community experience. Um, I have great experiences, you know, I have like memories with friends where like we were laughing so hard, like tears were streaming down our faces and like stomach aches and all of that. And, you know, we'll still go back and be like, oh my God, like remember that Saturday where we did, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you what we did. Maybe we watched a movie, but we were just sitting on the couch laughing. Like 
that's a nice memory to have. And I will take that over like a hangover any day. Yeah. Um, do you foresee a time when marijuana will play a smaller role in your life? Or Sure. Yeah. I mean, it could or be bigger you, or, or smaller. Bigger yeah. or smaller. You, there, but you don't like kind of foresee it as a time-dependent thing or an age-dependent thing? No. I mean, for what it's worth, the two fastest growing demographics in terms of cannabis consumers, the number one fastest is 55 and up. Oh, that is very yeah. interesting. <laughs> so, I, if I anything, no. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, because That's it's, it's so a, fascinating. Like, number one, no question. And then yeah. the second fastest is um, young moms. So, typically, like, women and usually professionals, women in their 30s. How um, interesting. I would never have guessed that. Yeah, either. I mean, but if you think about it, instead of, like, a glass of wine or a hangover, like, as a way to sort of, like, decompress or be able to sleep or relax, um, it's a lot less debilitating um, and arguably, like, better for you. Um, so How do they explain that to their kids? I don't know if you have any idea. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting conversation. We actually have an interview. Um, so one of the features we have in the magazine, we obviously, I, I, my background's in fashion and women's lifestyle, and I really wanted to have, like, a really beautifully shot fashion story. And when we talked about how we wanted to approach that, we said, well, let's make sure that the people we're shooting it on, like the models, so to speak, are someone worth interviewing, like someone we want to, you know, sort of have a conversation with. So it's not just about the clothes. And we interviewed this couple and photographed them, um, Tylen and B. Wynn, and they live in Calabasas in California, and they have three young children. And... Uh, I actually don't know if Tylen smokes we mostly, or consumes. We mostly spoke to B about this, but he's someone who said cannabis has been a part of his life, you know, for a very, very long time. And I asked him, and they're also, um, which I thought was interesting, they're also very religious, so they're Christian. And I, I sort of said, like, what does this look like? What, how do you sort yeah. of reconcile these things? Um, yeah, are they hiding it when their kids walk in the yeah, room? Yeah, I mean, their they, kids are really little, yeah. first of all. You know, so for them, I can't, you know, their kids are under, I think they're, all under the age of four or something like that. Um, but for him, he said he wants, he just plans on having like a very adult conversation in the same way he would potentially about say alcohol at a certain point in time. Um, which is to say these kids, as long as nothing changes, um, are going to come of age in a California in which at 18 or whatever the age is, maybe it'll be 21. They can walk into a store and buy cannabis. So, what does that conversation look like? And he said he just would have an open one with them and explain what it is and how it works. And, um, you know, and said, and I, I believe he said um, that he would just ask them to do it with him for the first time so he can sort of like walk them through it. So I would say, I don't know, but to me it feels hopefully no different and potentially better than, you know, a parent having like a glass of wine with you um, and sort of teaching you moderation um, and sort of teaching you the idea that, this is something that exists and you can try it. And if it's for you, here's how you can do it in a responsible way. And here's why it might not be for you. Yeah. Um, you know, my parents are both German and like very European. So I grew up having like a little sippy cup of wine sort of at the table from my early teen years. And I remember I got to college in New York and in the States, I'm from Canada also. Um, and, you know, I just had this like, total reaction to how aggressively people were drinking. Like, don't get me wrong, I drank in college, <laughs> for sure. But it wasn't so novel to me. Um, mm -hmm. Also in Canada, the legal drinking age is 19. So, you know, the idea that all of a sudden you hit this tipping point and then, like, go all out, I think the idea of having a conversation and sort of teaching someone what, how, like, a responsible consumption can, can look in your life, I think is really, really important. I don't have kids. Um, you know, I, I'm uh, 20 years away, or past anyone having that conversation with me so I'm certainly not an expert yeah, but yeah. No, um, I just think it's interesting yeah but it's a bit it, yeah. right because if you think about it as something that's going to be legal and like readily available that is a conversation to have so I hope I did sort of these quotes justice and you can sort of read them yeah directly everyone from check it out issue. so you can yeah. Yeah, read from the source yeah but I think um, it's, um, but that's a really interesting topic of conversation I think it's actually also relevant to even if this is something that um is not um, interesting to you at all it's yeah. still a relevant conversation because if there are eight out of 51 you know states uh, slash districts yeah. in the United States where this is 
legal yeah. than in, in its 2018, then when little kids today are growing up, yeah. chances are, you know, it's likely that they're going to have to at least grapple with the concept. And, yeah, for sure. Or if not, you know, it's the generalizable conversation for alcohol or for yeah. cigarettes or for really anything that you don't want your mm-hmm. kids to um, use in an irresponsible way, but you need to make them aware of. Well, I think that's, I mean, that's like really it in a nutshell. Um, yeah. I think I personally and certainly Gosmer can't tell anyone how to live their life. Um, right. All we try and of do course. is sort of like have a conversation, right? And yeah. if we can help make that conversation a little bit easier, that's better. Because if it's all happening behind closed walls and there's no education and there's no sort of, you know, public policy even um, that allows people to engage with it, I think it's it's far worse. Yeah, that's interesting. Are there any ways in which you think that um, consumption of cannabis or marijuana has been negative in your life? Um, I mean, I think everybody's probably had the one really bad experience. <laughs> um, so, you know, if I, I'm sure there was like a time in high school where I had a pop brownie that had like too much weed in it and it really didn't make me feel good. Um, but, but kind of more generally yeah, speaking. I, I don't think so. Uh, not that I can think of at all. I, I probably don't think I'd be doing this if I thought yeah. it had a negative effect that on makes me. Sense. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you about um, Gossamer a little more and the business behind the publication, okay. um, because you said some really interesting things about a unique um, kind of niche way of mm-hmm. developing the community and yeah. kind of meeting the consumer where they mm-hmm. are instead of just trying to create another clickbait site where yeah. you want eyeballs and eyeballs and eyeballs of people yeah. who will not necessarily love it, yeah. um, but maybe just click it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you, you know, I know that you also have made the executive decision with your co-founder yeah. to not have banner ads on mm-hmm. your um, website to yeah. kind of keep the mission pure. Yeah. So from a business standpoint, how do you guys... Um, monetize this and make this a functioning business. Yeah. Um, if it's a small publication, small circulation, no advertising. Not <laughs> no advertising. Oh, not just no, adver- no oh, banner okay. ads. Oh, okay, no banner yeah. ads. Yeah. Okay, so tell us a little bit about the, <laughs> tell us a little bit about the business of publication in a niche type of space. Yeah. So I think for us. Um, the way we think about it, and I think the conversations we've had with advertisers so far have been, how can we create something that is a 360 degree partnership that feels as compelling to us as Gossamer, you as the brand, and the audience between us. And it should be equally compelling for all three of those parts. Um, So part of that comes from partnering with brands that we feel um, there is a natural or appropriate synergy. Um, We are very young, and so far we have not had to have a conversation with someone where we said, like, you're not the right fit for us. You're not the right fit for us. We will 100% have to have that conversation, and I I think we will. Um, You know, our first advertiser was HBO, and that advertiser, they came to us... um, I think our website a lot had launched maybe three days prior, um, and we got That's an inbound. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, it is, and we could not be more thrilled. That's and a huge vote of confidence, yeah. right? To and have we said we don't have any banner ads. <laughs> you know, we got the 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 quote unquote like RFP, um, and it said, you know, can you fill out impressions and then uh, you know all the uh, dimensions and and practicalities or whatever. We were like. We might want to hop on a call because you know we did we don't have any of that. But here are the things we can do. We can do an event. We can um, create really compelling content with you for you even for both of us that aligns with your brand and ours and hopefully reaches um, the audience that sits between us. And uh, that's what they wanted, and that's what we did, and it, it worked out really really well. And that's something that you know any conversation we have, we feel like it should fall in that bucket. And frankly, if it's not they shouldn't be giving us their money yeah. and we shouldn't be selling it to our adver- to our readers. I think that that's in a way a more intelligent form of advertising. Which stop right? wasting it's everyone's kind of, time. Right? It's sort of like the Refinery29 model where sure. you read it and it's a compelling publication yeah. and you don't know what is an ad and what is not an ad. Well, I mean, I it's like confusing know. as a yeah. consumer. But on the other hand, it's like what that what that means is that the content is in some way speaking to you. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, one of the things I've said from the beginning, and especially to brands I've worked with over the last few years, is 
readers are smart. Readers of any age, whether they're your first time readers or they've been reading, you know, for 10 years, like your publication, they know when they're being sold to. So you have to be upfront about that. No one's, everyone can read like the word sponsored post or like partner content or whatever it is. But the reality is if it's good, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, the history of advertising, the history of media started as an advertising product, right? Like radio shows. Um, those shows started because advertisers said, hey, we want to reach an audience. We're going to give you some money. Why don't you create a show about it? So everyone sort of thinks that like content came first and advertising came second. That is so interesting. Yeah. I Ad did not know that. No, no, no. Advertising came first. <laughs> content, content came, came second. second. Oh, this is like the chicken egg question yeah. finally has an answer. Yeah. No, it, I mean, that's like if, you know, if that you're, so I, I'm sure there are some, yeah. you have some brilliant like media studies professors listening to this, but they would absolutely um, explain this in better um, language than I can. But that's truly how it started. It was advertisers said, we have, how we want to reach an audience and here's how we and can do it. So um, first of all, that's great. And if you're creating something that is of value, um, that's all that matters. And that's why I sort of said, if it's not creating value for the reader or the audience or the community, and it's not creating value for the advertiser, which is to say reaching their targeted audience, and if it's not creating value for us, which is giving our readers something good and worthwhile and making them sort of happy that they spent the time, then it shouldn't exist at all. So that should kind of be like the litmus test of what you're doing, right? Because if it's not those things, then someone is wasting their money and it would probably be the advertiser. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, so, at, you know, speaking about this as a business and kind of even taking it away from the space of marijuana as a topic, how did you and your co-founder decide that this was, that the time was right and that you were going to be able to sustain yeah. this as a business and, you know, presumably pay your rent and mm -hmm. buy your groceries and that kind of yeah. thing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we spent a lot of time sort of pre-working on it um so you know we were both freelancing consulting and, and really like getting our business plan and our approach honed um so i would say we did almost a year of work before we did any real work um which i would also argue is like the entrepreneur story everyone i've talked side to hustle. yeah <laughs> sort of right like and, and when people ask me for advice i'm like 100 start your own business but like do it on the side for a year and then save up more money than you need. Because the good news is like that year you sort of spend prepping is only going to set you up better for when you're like actually putting something out in the world. Um, so one, look, we spent a lot of time talking about it and really figuring out like what is our approach? What is, what do we look like? What is our voice? Who are we speaking to? Um, and no one was sort of hitting the target audience that we have. Um, and I would argue still isn't. And then obviously there's the reality that, um, you know, there is a bigger and bigger conversation happening about cannabis um, in this country. And, you know, every few months another state uh, passes some legislation that either decriminalizes um, or outright legalizes it. And it's only at this point, I would argue, a matter of time before it is federally legal and sort of the days of like federal pro prohibition are no longer. It may be a while. It may be 10 years. Um, I would say it's certainly not going to be less than five. It's going to be a while. Um, but it's coming. And I think it's, you know, a, an exciting time. I mean, the other thing that has been sort of so thrilling about joining uh, or being a part of this industry or doing something in it is how rare is it to be able to build an industry from the ground up? Um, yeah, that's very fascinating. Right? Like you can start a new business and you can be sort of, or let's say you're in tech, so to speak. But like, what is tech? I mean, that that's like paper. Paper is technology. So like, that's not necessarily like a brand new industry. Um, cannabis feels brand new. And even better, there is something for everyone. Like everyone's experience can map to it. So a lot of the questions we get is like, I want to do something in cannabis. How do I get started? And people's like assumption is they have to, you know, start a farm or like create a product or, um, you know, open a dispensary, all of which are hugely capital intensive and like cost prohibitive and take years and years and like a ton of bureaucratic red tape. Um, but instead just say, what do you do? You know, are you a marketing person? There are marketing jobs for you. Do you manufacture light bulbs? 
there are light bulb jobs for you in cannabis. For us, it was, we like to tell stories. My background's in editorial and so is David. So how can we tell the stories that sort of matter in this space? Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was that. And then I think the, the, the part that we both really, uh, the, that made us laugh was very early on telling people what we wanted to do. The reaction was like, you know, sort of Are like, you okay? Yeah, are you okay? And like, you know, I think my mother in particular was like white knuckling it. Um, David's too. And then there was sort of a point, maybe in the fall, when we were close to launching the site but didn't really have anything out in the world, where like every hour our moms were like emailing us links, being like, you're too late, you're too late, it's too, like, look at this person's already launched, look at this business, look at this publication. Um, so we realized that once our moms were telling us that we were kind of like behind the ball, so to speak, that uh, it felt like a good time to do something. Yeah, you had to get the ball Yeah, we really had to get out there. Your mom was telling you you were delayed. But it's also, it's like a, a, what is it? Bader Meinhof syndrome or whatever, where like all of a sudden you once you hear something, you just see it um, confirmed around you. Yeah. So you know, I think it's a little bit of that. Once you sort of pay attention to the cannabis space, all you'll all you'll see is headlines about it. Um. So yeah. you know that that's part of it too. I have noticed um, cannabis popping up in pop culture mm-hmm. all over the place, like in mainstream fashion. Totally. And, you know, in the press. And yeah. Is that something that you feel like is? sort of dovetailing. It feels like yeah. it's all coalescing at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I like to think we um, are just sort of like happen to be right place, right time, but it also does feel very much like a right place and right time to be doing this. Um, I think people are curious and excited about it. I, I do think, you know, um, the rise of wellness as a conversation that people are having, however you want to define it, um, the idea that people are more aware of what they do and don't do and what they put into their body and don't put into their body, I think has made people a little bit more curious and amenable to the idea of cannabis. Um, and I, you know, there are numbers that show like drinking is going down in 20 somethings and like cannabis is going up. So, you know, there is sort of a conversation to be had, you know, I'd be very curious to hear your thoughts, (laughs) but on like what, what that looks like and I think that's part of the reason there is a rise like people do feel like it's better for them um, or they're having a better experience um, and I think certainly in like this political climate <laughs> I think people really like the idea of being able to come home and relax and like turn off the news a little bit yeah so. I mean I certainly think that you know some of the things that are very much a mainstream accepted socially acceptable part of culture have significant detrimental medical effects that people very much underplay like you know that we love the studies that say a glass of red wine is great for your cardiovascular health but we completely ignore the studies that say that a glass of red wine is you know causing you to have neuronal damage and it's impairing your memory and it's um you know uh, not it's not good for your overall um physiologic state so you know i think that there's definitely um room for science to be better integrated into our understanding of all of these things. Absolutely. And I I would argue that like the only way to have that is to make people more comfortable even talking about it. So we're all for it. I mean, one of the things we say, um, and the biggest problem I would, not the biggest, the biggest problem with cannabis legislation is the idea of how many people are in jail for it right now. The second biggest problem is that it hugely hinders the amount of scientific study that can be done with the plant because it is not federally legal. So there is currently only one farm um, that can produce medical marijuana for research purposes, and that's in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And like the ability uh, to sort of get approval to do any sort of studies is hugely hindered by the fact that it is, you know, I think it's a schedule one substance or something insane. Um, So I would hope that the legislation also helps um, open up avenues for more scientific research so that there can be an actually like compelling conversation with fact around like what uh, this product does or does not do for people. Mm -hmm. I notice when we're talking just in terms of the language of this topic um, that you are gravitating toward toward words like cannabis and weed and away from words like marijuana and pot and um, other slang terms. So I wanted you to speak a little bit about the power of language as it relates to this topic and what terms you think are, you know, 
pejorative or less favorable versus the ones that you think are preferable. Great. I love this conversation because I love words. Um, and this is something we talked a lot about. I just have kind of noticed yeah. that I, that like, I, uh, this is like the pattern yeah. in our conversation. So, and I figured since yeah. you're a language person. Okay. Yeah. So, um, okay. A couple things. One is, like I said, our tagline, um, Gossamer as a brand is for people who also smoke weed. So we made the conscious choice to use the word weed in, um, our language. That's because we feel like that is the language our audience uses, our community uses. Cannabis is certainly the preferred term um, for the industry, um, kind of in the same way that like alcohol is the term for something versus like hooch or booze. Um, Mm -hmm. But the average person says like wine or beer, right? Um, So cannabis is the preferred term and we use that when we're talking about the industry or when we're talking about the plant or the product itself. I think in general, like conversational terms, we use the word weed because like, you know, that just kind of feels more relatable and realistic. Um, And what about the terms you're not loving? Right. So pot, I think is just, if I'm not saying it's just because it's a word I don't use, not because I'm against anyone using it. I think the... uh, the joke some people say is like pot is what your dad calls it, but like that's fine. You can call it pot, <laughs> no problem. Uh, words we actively don't use, and I would discourage anyone from using is marijuana for sure. Um, so the that that term um, is uh, hugely pejorative and was sort of uh, used to criminalize marijuana um, in the 30s, and it was explicitly sort of der- or. But I think both explicitly and implicitly directed at a community, particularly, um, I believe, uh, Mexican immigrants, um, the idea that, you know, not unlike the unfortunate conversation that we're still having in this country, but that like lazy immigrants are coming to take our jobs and get do no work or whatever. And so marijuana was the term used to sort of point to them and say, you know, they're high on marijuana. And it's, it's sort of like a slang of the actual, like, Spanish language word. Um, so that, What's the actual word? Marijuana. Oh, marijuana. Yeah, but it's spelled differently. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, we don't use that term. And I would say most, um, most of the more grown-up businesses in the space don't. Occasionally I will still see one using it, and it, like, really shocks me. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because it really, it, it's really quite negative, and the history of the term is, like, completely inappropriate. So um, I, would, I would say that that is something I discourage people from using. Interesting. I had no idea. Yeah, but I'm also constantly using new, uh, or learning new terms for it, um, because as oh, like anything. What? Any new terms that yeah, we should some, know about? I know, but this is just going to make me sound old, but it came up on a <laughs> podcast recently. Um, loud is like a term that kids are using. Oh. <laughs> the kids these days. The kids. Um, yeah, I don't know, like I guess 20-somethings. Um, like that loud, like loud as a noun for it. Um, oh. So that's a new one that I didn't know about. Um, I'm sure there's others, but oh, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay, trees. so trees. That's another one. Trees. Trees. Yeah. Like, like plants. Like yeah, trees. Yeah, I guess like trees. Yeah, it's green. Um, so, kind of one of my overall questions for you as a co-founder of the business sure. is, what are your plans for the business? What are kind of the what are the goals for Gossamer? And do you see this? You know, you speak about it as kind of a passion project with mm-hmm. sort of um, very, you know carefully curated and thoughtful language, but yeah. at the same time, you're obviously a savvy businesswoman mm-hmm. because you talk about advertising and engagement yeah. and content <laughs> creation and, you know, that there, you, you know, and I appreciate that you're kind of, uh, left brain and right brain about it. Yeah. But, um, so I'm curious about in terms of the business, what, what are you trying to achieve? Yeah. So, um, I think the first answer, I sort of goes back to what we said earlier is build a community. Mm-hmm. Um, for us, I don't know that we have a size, a goal. Obviously, bigger is better as long as they're engaged, but that's sort of the the, the thing that drives us forward. Um, so that informs content. Um, we have a magazine that comes out twice a year. So the first one just came out. The second one will be out probably end of October. Um, we have a website. And are people buying that directly or yeah, through a newsstand? Both. Or through I a mean, right now, mostly directly because we've kind of purposely held back distribution a little bit because, again, um, if we can encourage people to come directly to us um, and sort of seek it out, then that's all the more proof. Though we definitely have retailers um, in New York we have so far, um, but there will be a bunch more rolling out in the next two weeks, like Regular Visitors, which is a new stand and coffee shop on Court Street in Brooklyn. Um, 
Concrete and Water in Williamsburg, which is like a men's and women's lifestyle boutique. Um, and then yes, like your sort of traditional newsstands that carry independent magazines. So you're not going to see it at like Hudson News necessarily, right. <laughs> um, but you know, like Casa Magazines on Sixth Avenue or on Eighth Avenue in the West Village, which is like that old magazine shop on the corner that carries like every international publication. Um, that is run by the same guy and he's like just upset his name's Mohammed and he loves magazines. Anyway, so we will be in there. Uh, but no, definitely direct for now. Um, and as with anything, like direct to consumer, right? It's it's better for us if people buy it directly from us than if they go through a retailer. Um, though we are very excited about our retail partners. So all of that informs basically growing the audience. So what can we do um, to sort of help engage them? Um, parties, dinners, you know, we've had a couple private dinners um, that have been, you know, friends and family and invite only, but that's something that like more than anything, I can't wait to open up. Um, I would love to have like a monthly dinner series that is just open to the community. Unfortunately, it would have to be like first come first serve, but maybe it's like you attend one and then you recommend a friend who can come to the next because the whole thing is that we really feel like you can meet people and um, engage with sort of like like-minded individuals. Um, so events and then, you know, longer term, I don't know. I, I would sort of just say like, if we can bring together um, the community that we feel exists and isn't being spoken to, um, then I would sort of, take the lead from them on what they want. And maybe that's more frequency of publication. Maybe that's, um, you know, I would love to have an office that is also like a little retail space where people can come in and like hang out and engage with us um, and maybe engage with brands that we work with. Uh, we would love to, um, you know, expand the content. Maybe it's more issues a year. Maybe um, we have a TV show. Maybe it's a video series. Maybe it's a podcast. We talk about podcasts all the time. We've been meaning to start one. <laughs> it's have, really fun. Yeah, this so, has been like a really fun sidekick yeah. for me. <laughs> um, you know, I think in the editor's letter that we wrote for the issue, we sort of said, people ask us all the time, like, what is Gossamer? Um, and yes, it's a publication. Um, but that doesn't really feel accurate for us to what we're describing. And you know, I think we made a joke that like this is why everyone calls themselves a brand because like no one wants to be hemmed in. Um, but I think truly for us, like Gossamer is the audience. It's like it's the community. It's me. It's the reader. I I don't know if it's either of you, but maybe it is. <laughs> in terms of like you know, does the content speak to you? Do you want to engage with it? Um, and then and then we'll sort of see where that takes us. Yeah. So finally, this has been so interesting, and yeah. thank you so much for being here. Yeah, of um, course. Because my podcast is Beauty Bosses, we like to close by asking everyone about what beauty means to them and what being a boss means to them. So okay. I wanted you to kind of speak on that because you're in the space of wellness, yeah. and you also are a co-founder of your own publication. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about beauty and <sighs> boss life. I know. I thought there was going to be more beauty in this podcast. I was so excited. I love, I mean, I did love that conversation. I just love beauty. <laughs> well, I don't worry. There's still more after there's that. More. We're going to gift you a product from Scientific Beauty, my line. Okay, great. So we can also like chat about your skincare or eyelashes <sighs> or lips or whatever. I like love, love okay. beauty. Um, okay. okay, beauty. What? How do I define beauty? That's the question. Yeah, or just kind of what, what, what beauty mean to means me? to you. And um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think beauty is not dissimilar in probably the exact same way I would define style in as much as they both mean this, the following thing to me, which is it's how you present yourself to the world. Um, and that could be what you eat, where you eat, what you read, what you wear, what you say, who you talk to. Um, it's any of those things, but it is really just how you present yourself to the world. Obviously with beauty, we're talking um, presumably more physical, um, although I do think that means both inside and outside. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, how you present yourself. And That's people nice. care, you know, people pay attention to that. And every decision you make, conscious or not, is a decision, right? Even if you're someone who says like, I don't care about beauty or I don't like it, like you're engaging with it in some form or another. And that that's interesting in and of itself. People, you know, my background's a little more um, in style, but this is the thing that people say all the time, like I don't care about fashion. But you get dressed every day. So what you are doing you may not care about fashion, but you do have a style. Everyone has a style. And maybe yours is that you don't care about fashion. That's fine. That's cool. That is a style. That's more interesting maybe than someone who like follows it mindlessly. So I just think it's an active decision that you make um, 
whether it's what you put on your face or what you put in your body or, or what you wear. So. Oh, yeah. Great. And, you know, as a co-founder, I don't know if you guys have, do you have any employees in your company? Not yet. Would love to have some soon though. <laughs> but you're your own boss. Yes. And I so what does boss. that mean to you? Um, it means, God, I love it so much. Um, I love being a boss in general, but I also really love being my own boss. And I felt this way consulting too. So I would say, um, it means that every decision for better or for worse is mine. Um, and a concrete example I can give is that I probably work, not probably, 100% work harder now than I ever have. And I think of myself as a very, very hard worker. <laughs> so, um, I, I work a lot and David and I both work very, very long hours, but we care. And there's something very different to waking up or not waking up to being up at like two in the morning and working on something, but knowing it was your own decision to be doing that yeah. um, or whatever that, whatever got me to that point. Maybe it's because I, you know, procrastinated during the day or decided to take a Friday off and go to the beach. But like that was sort of my decision and now I'm owning it. And so if I'm working at 2 a.m. it's because like I need to or because yeah, I Yeah, the buck to. stops with you. Yeah. yeah. So um, that that I think is really important to me. Okay, amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for um, being here. Thank and you so much for having me. This was so fascinating and interesting and yeah. I can't wait to see all the amazing things that you guys do next with Gossamer. Thank you so much. Um, and I hope you guys all check out Gossamer and um, learn a little bit more about this really interesting space. Yes, please do. Thank you for having me. You're welcome.